Let us worship God. From the book of Jonah, the second chapter beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our minds and hearts this morning that a fresh word might fall upon us this day. Amen. Then Jonah prayed to the Holy One, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to God out of my distress, and God answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Holy One, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to God. Then the Holy One spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
The second reading for today is also from Jonah. Short book, four chapters. This comes towards the end. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Holy One and said, O oh God, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh God, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Holy One said, is it right for you to be angry? Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we believe that you are, as Jonah said, compassionate, slow to anger, quick to relent. We also believe that you have something that you will teach us today. So give us the ears to hear, give us the hearts to receive and help us to be better today than we were yesterday. Amen. Jonah, interesting cat. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine. We went to Liberty University together, and um, he said something that I thought was hilarious. He said, you know what, Jeremiah, what if, what if the prophets, because they seem to not be very good at their job, maybe the reason is because they were always victim blaming. I like that a lot. <laughs> so, before we dive into the text, I'll relay this story to you. It'll come up later. I was in the Bahamas one year and I was with my Presbyterian church that I was a member of for 20 some odd years. And uh, you know, we were doing a mission trip in the Bahamas because you know, someone's gotta suffer. So at the end of every work day, we would go and play. Now, the hotel we were staying at was literally right there on the water. We weren't near, we weren't in one of the big cities, we were, we were away and so, uh, all we had to do if we wanted to see just amazing snorkeling is to just grab a kayak and go out to the water. So that's what we would do every single afternoon. Now, each, each day, we would go a little bit further. I mean, you know how it is. You go to the beach and you start swimming. And you realize, oh, there's a sandbar here. I can stand, right? You go a little bit further. Maybe there's another sandbar. You can stand again. Well, we kept doing this because the places where you could stand offered fantastic snorkeling. Well, on this particular day, we had gone so far out that our friends back on shore were standing up on a picnic table and just looking out, just, just making sure we're safe, looking out on the horizon, could barely make us out. All we had was a kayak and the kayak had a makeshift anchor. 
just a cinder block tied to the kayak. So whenever we would you know, hit another sandbar, we would drop the anchor and then we would go and we would look at whatever there's to see and then eventually you know, pull the anchor up and then we head back in. Well, the snorkeling was fantastic and I couldn't bring myself away and I kept wanting to go further and further and further. Until, until. I was in water that was about, I'd say maybe two feet. It's really shallow. I was very concerned about hitting the coral. I didn't want to disturb anything. So I'm just kind of floating there, kind of floating, hanging out. And it's very, very bright because there's not a whole lot of water. So the sun is shining through, everything's bright. I can see everything very clearly. But then my right hand started to feel the temperature change. Started to feel cold. And I look over and I, can, and I can see, I can see the floor of the ocean just drop off. And I could not see where it ended. But here was light and bright and warm and inviting. But to my other side was deep, dark, blue, and cold. And I just had this ominous feeling that, you know what, over there, I'm not sure that I'm the top of the food chain. And I could, I, I, I got so freaked out. <laughs> I just, I moved away from that and I was like, okay, that's it, I'm done, all done. All done. Now, I'll come back to that story. But let's look, let's, let's, let's look a little bit. Let's look a little bit into this text, all right? So our first reading, we have Jonah really, really just crying out to God. Save me. Please, oh God, hear me. Save me. But then by chapter 4, Jonah is not happy at all. And why isn't he happy? Because God sent him to this place to tell these people that they needed to change. Those people indeed did change. And that's it. That's why he was mad. Furious. I would rather die. Now, I see a lot of good Presbyterians in the crowd. Uh, you probably can't relate to this at all. So let me talk about some people who potentially can. <laughs> we mentioned in my introduction that I was inspired by chaplaincy. So one of my favorite jobs in Orlando, I used to work for uh, an organization that put chaplains in jails and in prisons. So. What would they do there? Well, I mean, they're kind of like pastors or chaplains who would be in the military or at a hospital. Whatever spiritual needs that you have, it was their job to meet those needs. Now, this sounds good to a lot of people, particularly those people who are in need. So one day, I get a call. Now, mind you, I'm not even a chaplain. I'm working with the chaplains, but I get a call, someone from my home church, 
I used to work in the youth department there. And uh, she calls me up and she says, do you remember my son? I said, yes, I do. Would you go see him? Because he is in 33rd Street Jail. Absolutely. So I go. Now, he and I were in youth group together. Super, super smart dude. Very, very likable. I remember we were friends. We went to different schools, so we didn't hang out a whole lot. But anytime there's a church event, I look forward to seeing him there. Now he tells me this story. And he said he'd, uh, you know, gotten into drugs. He had gotten into heroin. And that his habit had gotten out of control. He said that he stopped shooting up in his arms, didn't want to leave marks so that people could notice. So in order to hide it, he would use his foot. And unfortunately, one day, made a mistake, went too far, foot ends up getting infected, goes to the hospital. While in the hospital, a friend of his brings drugs to the hospital and puts it in the IV. This is how bad his, he explained his habit was. So one day, he's driving and he gets pulled over for something. And this, this, this is what he told me. He said, he said Jeremiah, I, I think that that was God telling me enough. I think this was God saving my life. Now, I tell you this story for a couple different reasons, but the, the most important one is that all my life I have heard people talk about people who are in jail and prison. I've heard things like, you know what, if they wanted to do better, they would do better. These people are no good. You know what, keep them away from me and my family. I don't want them to hurt anyone that I love. And all these things make sense to me. You know what else makes sense to me? Is that when their loved one is sitting in jail, that I will get a phone call. And what do they want? They simply want their loved one to be given as much grace and mercy as possible. They know that they've done wrong. They know that. But they don't want them to be cast out and forgotten they want there to be some hope. So they pick up the phone. And I'm glad to be on the other end of it. Now, this story of Jonah, it contains a very, very popular trope in Scripture, that of the reluctant prophet. God tells the prophet to go and speak to the people of Israel. The prophet goes to the people of Israel. And typically, the people of Israel don't listen. Maybe eventually they listen. But usually, there's that familiar rejection. And so, this is one of the reasons why even today, sometimes we say that uh, if someone is being prophetic, it's usually describing the fact that they are speaking truth to power. And it also contains this thing of like, yeah, and then the people in power are probably not listening. It's being prophetic. However, 
I think sometimes, sometimes we claim to be prophetic, we claim to be prophets, we claim to be speaking truth to power, and yet the real reason why people aren't listening to us is because they know how we really feel about them. They know that we don't like them. When I moved here five and a half years ago, I drove my truck from Florida up to Marin County, and on the way I stopped by um, Bakersfield. I had a friend who used to live in Orlando. He's originally from California, now he's back in California, and hadn't seen him in years, so I just stopped by and saw his family, went to church the next day, and saw him preach, the whole, whole bit. While I was hanging around after the service and just talking to people, I'll never forget, someone said, so, I hear you're going to San Francisco. I was like, it's like, all right, well, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I was like, right? But then you know what? To be honest, I've seen it go the other way as well. The time that I spent in seminary, I have absolutely heard people when they hear that someone has gotten a call to the south, you know, like, oh, be careful. Oh, we're going to pray for you, huh? right? <laughs> Here's the thing. I think the story of Jonah largely is the story of contempt. We know what contempt is, right? Contempt. Contempt is when you disagree with someone, but beyond the disagreement, you think that what they think is ridiculous. It's silly. It causes us to, to do things physically with our body. We roll our eyes. This guy, oh my goodness, here we go. Sometimes we might smack our teeth. Uh-huh, uh yeah, yeah. You know, you know this feeling. You know this feeling of contempt. You know when you look in someone's eyes, you're having this conversation, and you know, it's, it's not that you disagree, but you think I am crazy or ridiculous. That's contempt. I think it is very, very, very hard to provide spiritual care for people from a place of contempt. Jonah tried it. How did that go? Jonah did not want to go to those people. And here's the thing. We know that it wasn't just because those people were doing something wrong, as people do. Nineveh had some type of history. Now, it doesn't go into what exactly they did that was evil. But the people of Nineveh didn't really argue. They knew what it was. And it said they turned. They decided to make a change. And this is how we know that Jonah had contempt for the actual people, not the behavior, because them changing the behavior did not change Jonah's heart. It did not change his disposition. It did not change his attitude. In fact, it made him more angry. 
I knew you, God. I knew that you were going to relent. That's not what he wanted. In fact, the words that we have for God telling Jonah to go, it's like God said, hey, go and tell them to turn. But when Jonah gets there, all of a sudden it's, or you will be destroyed. He may have added that part. So then, where, where do I find hope in this passage? Where do I find the hope? And where do I find the lesson? What are we supposed to learn from this? Well, I think, I think the hope is tied back to that familiar trope of the reluctant prophet. When we think about other prophets, many of them were told to go and speak on God's behalf. Many of them were reluctant. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. Like, who am I to go and speak to people? We think about Moses. Moses was like, I can't even speak. And also, I kind of killed a dude. I mean, I don't really feel like I'm the best ambassador for you. Or even Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. I'm too young. And yet, God said, go, go, and go. However, for many, for many, not all, but many of the prophets, before they would actually go, they would spend some time in a desert. Remember Moses, after he did kill the Egyptian fellow, took off and kind of in hiding, had some time to, I think, face his own demons. Jesus had time in the wilderness. Why is this important? Because I think we all need to face our own demons, and we all need to face ourselves. We all need to be confronted with, what is it that gets in the way of my relationship with other people? What are the things that I gravitate towards? What are the things that I choose over love and compassion? Some of the prophets had this time. We don't know that Jonah did. I don't know about you, but I am not the same person today that I was five years ago, 10 years ago. And some of the ways that I have improved have been born out of hardship and desert time. I, um, I laugh almost every time I say this because it's just, it seems so, this is so, I mean, I went to Liberty University. I don't know if you know anything about the school. This is one of the most conservative schools in the nation. We, uh, they used to joke, you know, uh, you know we, don't, we don't dance and we don't chew. We don't hang out with people who do, right? Like, and yet, last night and on many Friday and Saturday nights, 
I am working security at one of the lesbian bars here in the city at Jolene's, and I love, I love it. I love being there. They love me. And it is not uncommon for someone to say to me, there's something about you. I really like your energy. I've never seen a security person so happy. <laughs> yeah, I get it a lot. And here's the thing. I am touched by that because I know my story. And I know the things that I had to go through in order to get to that point. And let me tell you, some of the things that I went through were a little less than willingly. I don't think that God wants us, like Jonah, to minister from a place of contempt. Instead, this theme of compassion runs throughout. I don't think that we are supposed to, as prophets, just show up and say, hear my message and immediately adorn sackcloth and cover your head in ashes. Yes, prove to me that you are not a product of your environment and become holy as indeed I have become holy. You will make mistakes, but be sure to only make the mistakes that I am comfortable with. Champion what I champion, fight what I fight against. Vote how I vote. Get the shots that I get. If you do not, then tell me your reasons. And if I am not convinced, then you are obviously not worth my time and energy. I will dust off my sandals and I'll move on to another place. Perhaps it would be better for the world if these people, these hard-hearted people, face the wrath of an angry God. I don't think that's what God was calling Jonah to do or say. No. But I'll tell you this. I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult. And we spend time with some people who are in some very difficult places. But for any of us who might be in the midst of that struggle, where we feel that tug of compassion, but we also feel that tug of contempt. Remember the story of the, the water and the snorkeling. Remember how terrifying that was for me, the, the prospect of being out in the open water and really being out in the open water alone. I think that's a good metaphor for this desert season that many of us need to face, not once, but over again throughout our lives. See, I find hope in a patient God and that God's response to Jonah and in this table. So you cannot beat the world into submission. It has been tried, and it does not work. Violence does not lead to peace. But I find that though I want love, I do not know love. And sometimes, 
Sometimes when I flee from love, I will find myself thrown against my will and best laid plans into the vast ocean that is love. I am cast into the deep and the flood surrounds me. The waters close in over me and I fear that I will die. And thank God I do. My unrelenting commitment to service of myself slowly dissipates. My tears become anathema as I drink deeply and I thirst no more. Then, no longer fearing what love will do to me, I no longer fear what love will do to my enemies. Amen. I speak in minute songs of many men Argue with angels and I always win But I don't know the first thing about love I prophesy in no mystery Oh, hidden things, they're opened up to me. I don't know the first thing about love. I don't know the first thing about love. I had the keys to open any door. Give all of my possessions to the poor. But I don't know the first thing about love. And moving mountains ain't no thing to me. I faith enough to cast them to the sea, but I don't know the first thing about love. I don't know the first thing about love. All other things shall fade away. Love stands alone and still holds sway. All other things shall fade away into the crown, into the grave. I give my body up unto the flames And never once did I deny your name But I don't know the first thing about love I don't know the first thing about love I don't know the first thing about love no, no.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Awesome indeed the 
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in word, in silence, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Will you let yourself be loved? Will you let yourselves be loved? If so, then there will be more love in the world. As your cup runneth over, you will share with others. May it be so. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.